song number 212. Let's all stand with saying, What can wash away my sin? What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Amen. scriptures, Lord, today and apply to our lives and help us, Lord, to live your word and meet the needs that are here, Lord, and we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. May be seated, number 226, a few pages over, 226, it's probably new, we, I remember we sang this maybe a couple of times, 226, my Savior.
Joshua is preaching on this morning. Very good. Uh, let's sing one more. Uh, I am resolved 389. 389. I am resolved. <laughs> the same seat, but have a seat. Let me read a note that was given uh, last week by Nathan and Kristen. This is in regards to how you folks have prayed for him and David, uh, for Kristen and David while they're in Stanford. You're obviously family. This is dated October 29th. You're obviously family. Kristen and I feel very, very thankful for your outpouring of love that these past two months, as you have expressed and demonstrated that love through speaking and sending kind words giving generously and praying fervently and persistently for our little David. Uh, our God truly heard the prayers of the children, and he has heard your prayers for our son. David is recovering more quickly than the medical team seemed to expect. Lord, to the name of the Lord. 
uh, with much aloha in our Savior, Brother Nathan, Psalm 34, 3. Uh, David came home on Friday at uh, 11 o'clock, and so he is here somewhere. Hopefully he's not driving a car, but he is here, and he looks not like nothing's wrong, but below that shirt is, uh, what do you call that? Uh, what? The incision, everything is healing very nicely. The doctor said that it heals much better for babies than even children, than even adults, because the cells are growing so fast. It's just miraculous, you know? And that's a blessing. I want to read that to you. Uh, you know that song that we just, that he says, I am resolved? You know what that resolve is about? I am resolved. That is to say, I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. I made up my mind. I will live the way I should as a Christian. I made up my mind. There's no debating about it anymore. The Christian life is getting to you to the place where you don't debate anymore about what you should do as a Christian. It is coming to the place where you are realizing that without Him, you can do nothing. With Him, all things are possible. It's coming to the place where you say, you know, I've tried it my way for so long. I've hit dead end, dead end, dead end. And I've had trouble, trouble, trouble because I've tried to run from the Lord. And uh, I am now going to stop. And I'm just going to humble myself before him. And I'm going to just make up my mind to live for him. Come with me. I am resolved. And that song is a great song because it reminds us of uh, how we should think and how we should live in these days. Uh, while others are trying different things to get a church attendance up, while others are trying to do things, gimmicks, and other kind of things to appease people and to make the gospel more attractive, we are resolved to just go ahead and preach the gospel, be faithful to the Word of God, and then let God do what He needs to do. Amen. So we're going to have to be resolved. Um, when we pass out tracts, a lot of times I don't feel like doing it because I feel like in my heart, this is a complete waste of an hour and a half because people say this to me. I'm good. I'm good. Man, don't need that. Sometimes the Asian people, they just don't even look at you. The Chinese and the Japanese and the Koreans and the Vietnamese, they just walk by. No courtesy, they missed it, no thank you. Asians, what's wrong with these Asian people? You think that we were in Beijing or Taiwan or someplace where they just, you know, get all these things thrown at them. But uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, why even give an effort? Well, uh, it is a fact that most people today, at least in our experiences here, they don't seem to even care about themselves. So then I'm thinking, why should I care about you if you don't care about yourself? That's a presumption, I know. But uh, still, we have to be resolved. Amen. So always have gospel tracts with you. You never can tell when you need one. Always have those Chinese tracts with you, those cards. You never can tell when you need to pull one out. A lot of times I'm in Home Depot. There's Chinese people that are looking for different products and things. I always ask them, you Chinese? And they say, why? Bother you if I'm not. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But I can't tell Chinese and Japanese and Korean sometimes. I do know that if you have a lineup of a Chinese guy, a Japanese guy, and a Korean guy, I can spot that Chinese guy in a lineup because the Chinese guy is the better looking one, the best looking one. <laughs> and so the Korean one is like, ah, oh, boy, you know. Why would you, you know, you know only your mother could love you. But uh, I always have, sometimes I've been caught without one, a track, I feel kind of like, what's the matter with you? Why, why are you such a, anyway, I like to have them with me all the time, just in case, just in case. And uh, you'd be glad if you had some. So go ahead and take some tracks with you today. Have them on your person so that you can give them out every once in a while. Just have them ready to give them out. Amen. You can't go out on Saturday. Okay, have them with you so that you can pass them out every once in a while. All right, do that. And uh, you feel good about it. And uh, another gospel track will get out. And that's the important thing. Get the word out. I am resolved. Whether you do it or not, I'm going to do it. I'm resolved. My wife would do it. She's more dedicated than I am, more consistent than I am. She's got, besides, you should see my wife's purse. Maybe you shouldn't, but um, she's got whatever she has in there. And uh, she's got, she's also got tracks in her side pouch. She's also got some tracks, three, three towels. She's also got three towels with her and those Chinese cards. She's also got them with her. And whenever she goes anywhere, she's also putting one out after she signs that credit card thing. She says, and this is good news for you. Or she says that this is a gift for you. When you say this is a gift for you, they oh thank you. 
you know, and sometimes I would just say, here's something from our church. I'll let them right up front. This is from church. So they'll say, ah, church, right away. I want them to know it's from church. And so do what you can. You can do something. Right. If you just do one track this week, that's one more than would have got. Now, tracks are not any good sitting in the drawers in the back. Not good. It's no good. Right. Get them out. Okay. That's what they're there for. So be resolved about that. Be resolved to pray for one another. Be resolved to pray for church services. Be resolved to pray for me, pray for my wife, pray for Mike, pray for Hugh, pray for Francis. Be resolved to pray for those who teach classes. Be resolved to pray for your fellow church members. Be resolved to pray for them. When they come to your mind, pray for them. So not to make a big ordeal about it, just pray for them as you're doing what you're doing. Be resolved to put the Lord first in your life. Be resolved to do that. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what without having to do today about this situation? What's the right thing to do about this situation? Lord, I want to kill this guy. What should I do? I know what you should do. Not kill the guy. Yeah. Lord, this guy is so... Carlton was telling me about his boss at the Hilton, how the boss is so oppressive and so hard on him. And when you say Wednesday night, he surprised everybody because he's usually working. I say, hey, what are you doing here? Glad to see you, though. He says, ah, oh, my boss. The first thing he says, ah, oh, my boss. When Carlton says, ah, oh, my boss, it's really bad. And so they have a high occupancy, but uh, sometimes people get frazzled. And uh, yet he is always trying to do the right thing. So I appreciate Brother Carlton. Always trying to do the right thing. He is resolved to be a good testimony. So wherever you are, whatever you do, be resolved. To know that people are watching you, they're taking note about you, and being consistent for Christ is a big deal. They're not going to tell you, I've been watching you, I've been watching you, but people do watch you. And so just keep in mind, when you're resolved, it'll be honoring to Christ first of all, and it could have a good effect on someone else too, especially your own family. I'm, I told Christian. Kristen, last night at dinner, I said, Kristen, I'm so glad you're home. And she kind of smirked like, and I told her why. I said, I knew you were busy. I knew you have a lot on your plate every day. Homeschooling mother, have to feed, cook uh, three or four meals a day. I said, I know you're busy, but I said, I didn't know how busy you could be. And she laughed because she understood what I was saying. And I did not know how busy Kristen is. And... I was, I got a revelation about what it's like to raise nine, 10 or 11 kids and feed them, clothe them, wash their clothes, discipline them, educate them, and how much her time has to be structured and how she has to be so disciplined. I am amazed. I told her, I said, I'm so glad you're home. And she laughed and I said, because now I have freedom back. I cannot do what I need to do and always have, I, we still do things for the home, we still help with some homeschooling and uh, minor things just to give her some time off in a day. If she gets 20 minutes off because I do pee with the kids, it's like, okay, I can breathe, I can rest, I can, I can, I can, I can enjoy a few moments of silence. It's really awesome what she does and uh, I was telling as I ended my lesson this morning about how you should express things to people Last time I let it out, I told her, I expressed her how much uh, she was missed and how much she does and how much I, as her father-in-law, appreciate what she does every day. And, uh, and she smiled very nicely and says, yeah, it's nice to be appreciated. <laughs> and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that is nice to be appreciated. I don't, it, to me, it doesn't matter who you are. If you are flesh and blood, if you are alive and you sit in that chair, you like to be appreciated. And you and I need to make it a point to express to people in our lives that we appreciate them. Uh, my mom lost 80 years old in about three weeks. So I'm gonna have my wife go, and uh, she has a chance to go see her on her 80th birthday. And this is a milestone. I do not know how long my mom-in-law has. So I'm not gonna fool around and say, well, you know, let's save a few dollars because, you know, and we're gonna go in the summertime, we hope. And so you don't have to go, you're gonna go anyway, uh, in the summertime with me. And she's gonna go by herself. And uh, I just wanted to express to my wife 
that I think so much about her mom that she can go, that she can go. I will have a hard time while she's gone for three weeks. I don't know how to use the washing machine. I don't know how to turn it on. I don't know how to turn it off. I'm gonna dry my own clothes. We got a little tree to hang up stuff. I'm gonna dry my own clothes. I don't know. She's gonna have to show me how to use the washing machine. Pathetic, pathetic. I am over 60 years old and I still don't know how to use the washing machine. Why are you laughing? This is pathetic. All right, but I'm just saying, you need to appreciate, show appreciation, say so. And don't keep things to yourself. One day you wish you had said more. One day you wish you had said more. Now is the time to speak up and say it and do it. Now is the time to do it while you have life and while people have life. Now is the time to do it. Okay? All right, enough uh, make me feel bad. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, okay. Mike, see if you can uh, help me recover from that. <laughs> I cannot. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 3. Bring you a lesson about the unpardonable sin. You've heard of the unpardonable sin. You've heard people talk about the unpardonable sin. People have different ideas about what the unpardonable sin is. Can it can be committed today? What if a Christian commits the so-called unpardonable sin? Does he lose his salvation? So let's look at Mark chapter 3, beginning of verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Now, let's unpack this a little bit, and let's first we need to see what exactly was the unpardonable sin that they committed in this passage. If you notice, verse 30, he tells you what the unpardonable sin was. He said, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. So what they were doing was they were accusing Jesus of having power from the devil when actually the power that he had was from the Holy Spirit. They were, in a sense, calling the Holy Spirit the devil. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by accusing Christ of casting out devils by the power of Satan. They're saying, well, wait a minute. We acknowledge that you're casting out these devils, these unclean spirits. We acknowledge that. It's, it's not a trick. It, it looks like it's genuine. It looks real. It looks authentic. It, it's not... A, a trick or a sleight of hand or, or any, an illusion but we don't want to admit that you are doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the implications of that they don't want to admit that he's the Messiah they don't want to admit that he's the Son of God so they have to come up with some other type of reasoning and say well we think that he has power from the devil that's how he's casting out these unclean spirits. And of course, Jesus said, well, that's uh, contradictory. I mean, the devil can't cast out himself. That doesn't make any sense. Why, if I had power from the devil to do this, why would the devil give somebody power to counteract the devil's work? That makes no sense whatsoever. It's counterintuitive. So what they did was they blasphemed the Holy Spirit by attributing or crediting that power to the devil. They're basically calling the Holy Spirit the devil. Now, 
Some people will say, if you commit this sin, if you do what they did, that you will lose your salvation because he said it's an unpardonable sin. He said that if you commit that sin, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you will never have forgiveness. You are in danger of eternal damnation. I want you to notice a few things here about the unpardonable sin. Number one, were these people saved? Did they lose their salvation? Were they even saved? No, they were not Christians. They weren't believers. So they didn't lose their salvation because they never had salvation. If somebody is accusing Jesus of casting out unclean spirits by the power of the devil because they don't want to acknowledge that he is the son of God, then they are not believers. Notice it said in verse 22, the scribes, the scribes. You know, in the Bible, the scribes are often mentioned alongside with the Pharisees. It'll say the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. Who are the scribes? The scribes are the ones who copied the scriptures, right? They were part of the religious crowd. Some of them were for Pharisees. They were mentioned alongside the Pharisees. And the Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees, they sought to, to uh, trap him in his words or, or this or do that. And so we know that the scribes and the Pharisees in this context, the scribes, they were not saved. They were enemies of Christ. So they were not saved. They did not lose their salvation, although they did commit an unpardonable sin. Now, I do believe uh, right here in this passage, in this particular time, that they did commit an unpardonable sin, that um, they reached a point of, of no return because of what they did and what Jesus Christ said there. But what about somebody today? Can they commit an unpardonable sin or can they commit this sin? I want you to understand was this committed in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Now you're probably thinking, well, it's the New Testament because it's the Gospel of Mark and Mark is in the New Testament. It is true if you look at your Bible after Malachi, before Matthew, there's a, there should be a, a, a dividing page that says the New Testament or the books of the New Testament. But when did the New Testament begin? If the New Testament began in Matthew 1 1, that means the New Testament began before Jesus was born. Right. So, yes, it is true that we categorize the books of the New Testament beginning with Matthew, but doctrinally speaking, we have to understand when the New Testament actually began because there were some differences that occurred once the New Testament began. Go to Hebrews, and I'll show you from the Bible when the New Testament began. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the what? The death of the testator for a testament is of force after men are dead otherwise it of no strength that all while the testator liveth remember Jesus said this take this cup and drink this is the blood of, of the new testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins so the new testament began at Christ's death so before Jesus died on the cross they are under the old testament even while Jesus Christ is alive during his earthly ministry, they are still under the Old Testament before the cross. You have to understand that after Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in half, uh, by, the Bible says, signifying a new and better way. And so in the New Testament, things are a little bit different than they were in the Old Testament regarding salvation and sin and eternal security and things like that. Did they have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? No, they did not. Now, they did have the, the, the Holy Spirit, but not the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Saul lost the Holy Spirit. Samson lost the Holy Spirit. 
David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the New Testament, what you have is what we call eternal security. And that teaches that you cannot lose your salvation. You also have, because of that, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption would be the, the redemption of your body at the resurrection. Yes. The rapture. Until then you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed, preserved, secure. Over in... Um, in John, go to John chapter 14, when Jesus promised that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide you, abide with you until you sin. <laughs> And then he leaves you. No. He said, for how long? Forever. Forever. Permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, what about if you sin? It is true that the Bible says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is true the Bible says, quench not the Spirit. And so it is true that you can, as, as a believer... Based on your conduct, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You may not always be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you don't lose the Holy Spirit. You are sealed under the day of redemption. You understand? So that's one of the aspects of salvation in the New Testament is that you have eternal security. You have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They did not have that in the Old Testament. And the unpardonable sin, what we read, was in the Old Testament before the cross. Now, People might ask, okay, what if today in the New Testament somebody commits the unpardonable sin by blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, again, what exactly was blaspheming the Holy Spirit at that time? It was accusing Jesus of performing miracles by the power of the devil. So I don't think that the unpardonable sin in that context can be committed today because Jesus is no longer here on earth performing miracles. For somebody to accuse Jesus of performing miracles by the power of the devil, they could not do that in the sense that they did it at that time because he's no longer here performing miracles. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't think that in that sense the unpardonable sin could actually even be committed today even if somebody were to try to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 2. Notice that Jesus said at that point in Mark, he said that that sin would never be forgiven. Notice again, he said that before the cross, Old Testament. In the New Testament, guess what? We don't see in the New Testament that there's an unpardonable sin that the Christian can commit. What we see is something actually different than that. We see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All of them. All your sins are forgiven once you get saved. People ask, well, what about this one sin that I did? You know, I mean, it's real horrible and it still haunts me and I think about it every day and, and I just think that God hasn't forgiven me and, and 
And uh, it's just so horrible. I don't think that God can forgive me of that sin. Go to 1 John. First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from what? All sin. All sin. All sin. People ask, well, what about murder? All sin. All sin. What about this? What about that? What about all sin? The problem is you, you teach this and some people automatically think, you mean to tell me that somebody can get saved and then they can go ahead and live any way they want and they can, they can go out and kill people and do this and do all that and all of that. And so when people bring that scenario up, there's a few things that you need to address. Number one, is somebody who goes and has that attitude to think that they can get saved and then they can go and do whatever they want, are they genuinely repenting when they get saved? Is that true biblical salvation? So you have to address that. Then the other thing is, okay, what if somebody actually is saved? They genuinely repented and then they fall back into their old ways or sometimes they end up doing things worse after they get saved. And it is possible that somebody could go and, and do something that would be really extreme. Do they lose their salvation? No, we already saw that the Bible says that they don't. You know what's interesting is in the, in the book of Corinthians, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Paul was rebuking the Corinthians, some of them, for the way they, they were living. And he said, don't you know that you are not your own, that you are bought with a price, that you belong to God. And he talks about, and, and, and he said, talks about the Holy Spirit, which you have in you, and you're bought with a price. Why are you living like this? Why are you doing these things? Paul said, don't you understand that you have the Holy Spirit, that you belong to God, and yet you're living completely contrary to the teachings of the Word of God? And Paul said they had the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at the judgment seat of Christ, even if you lose all your rewards because all the things that you did, God, God reckons it and, and views it as wood, hay, and stubble, and it burns up and is completely consumed, he said, even then you'll be saved. So there are many things that can happen to a believer if he continues in sin. The Bible says where sin did about sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Shall we therefore continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So there's a lot of things that can happen to a believer when he continues in sin, but losing salvation is not one of them. And so as far as the unpardonable sin for a believer, for a born-again child of God, I do not believe in the New Testament dispensation that there is an unpardonable sin for the child of God. We see that he has eternal security. All his sins are forgiven. I see that uh, that was a unique situation where Jesus Christ was here during his earthly ministry performing miracles, and people. the Bible specifically says it's because they accused him of having power from the devil, which in a sense was basically calling the Holy Spirit the devil. Now, go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. You see, now this is why it's so important to understand dispensations in the Bible. Because in the future, there is what we call the tribulation period. And in the future, I'm going to show you that... As far as I can tell, there is an unpardonable sin. It's not the same as it was during Christ's ministry. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. 
And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So in the future tribulation, I don't see anything in the Bible that indicates that somebody can be forgiven once they receive the mark of the beast. 666 in their right hand or their forehead. Is that today? No, that's not today. There is no mark of the beast today. The COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast. <laughs> it seems like every few years, some new technology advanced, technological advancement arises and surfaces and some people are quick to say, this is the mark of the beast. In the 70s, they said the, the, the barcodes on all your on the labels of your products at the grocery store that's the mark of the beast some people said it's credit cards oh now there's a chip in your credit card that's the mark of the beast all these different types of ids and and then some people said the vaccine of the mark of the beast now i i agree that that is part of the technology that's paving the way toward the mark of the beast but that in and of itself is not the mark of the beast because the Bible clearly says that you have to have it in your right hand or in your forehead. And if you don't have it, you can't buy or sell anything. And it has the number of the beast, 666. His name and his number. And so, yeah, I, I agree these things are paving the way. And, and we have these um, technological advancements and things. And, and people are getting conditioned and all of that. But to say right now that... There is the mark of the beast implemented. No, we don't see that. Now, people ask, well, wait a minute. If that is an unpardonable sin, what if a Christian commits that, un that unpardonable sin? Well, number one, I believe that this is going to take place after the rapture. So the body of Christ right here, the New Testament church, will be taken out in the rapture. And then whoever is left behind will be in this dispensation of the tribulation, and they will be confronted with that. And I believe that anybody who is in this period who accepts the mark of the beast, for them, as far as I can tell, that is an unpardonable sin. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says people can be forgiven of that. It says that whoever takes the mark of the beast is going to go to hell. So that's that. Right now, today, can somebody commit an unpardonable sin? Well, I believe that an unbeliever can harden his heart to the point where the Holy Spirit no longer deals with him and he no longer feels conviction and no longer sees the need for salvation. You could say, in a sense, that's an unpardonable sin. But I think that even that is um, different for different people. Okay, it's not like one particular thing that somebody does. People say rejecting the gospel today is an unpardonable sin. Well, many people reject the gospel before they get they finally get saved. Very few people get saved the first time they hear the gospel. Some people reject the gospel for years and then they finally get saved. See, so um, I understand the meaning behind that, but but still. Um, you have to really specify what you mean when you say those things. Okay, so that's that. I have one more quick topic to give you because we're going in alphabetical order. I'm going to give you some things about the virgin birth. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Of course, you're familiar with the virgin birth, but you may not fully understand the implication of it. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child and the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, 
Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the from sleep, and, and, and did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, of course, the virgin birth, we understand that it, Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not uh, physically through natural relations from, from Joseph. Joseph was not his earthly father, uh, as, as far as, um, a bi or I should say, biological father. But did you know that the virgin birth was prophesied over 700 years before Christ was born? Look at Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, and we saw in Matthew that it said this was done, that it might be fulfilled. If you look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is what we call a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is written approximately 742 BC before Christ was ever born. Did you know some of the new versions like the RSV, instead of the word virgin, it says a young woman? Well, what's supernatural about that? Yeah. That happens every day, a young woman. What's supernatural about it is that it was she was a virgin. Right. And so this was prophesied over all over 700 years before Christ was born. Now, do you think the virgin birth was just maybe just, I know it says it's a sign here, but do you think that it was just another way of God just showing a miracle? Was it just God kind of showing off? Was it God just giving a little bit of extra evidence to support the fact that Jesus was the Messiah? Or is there something a little bit deeper than that? Did you know that it was absolutely necessary for Christ to be born of a virgin in order for him to be the savior of the world? It was necessary. It's not just another miracle, just another evidence to show the world that Jesus is the son of God, but it was actually necessary. Think about this. If Christ had been born of the seed of a man, Joseph, if Joseph had been Christ's biological father, he would Jesus would have had a corrupt, sinful nature being passed down from Adam. Look at Psalms chapter 51. See, Jesus had to have been born of a virgin in order for him to accomplish what he did, being the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And providing a way of salvation. I want you to look at Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, talking about the sinful nature that's passed down to every man from Adam. And here David says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Is David saying, my, my mom, when I was conceived, she wasn't married. She was committing fornication, and that's what I, that's how I was conceived. That's not what he's saying. When he says, "In I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, what he's meaning is that I have this inherited, corrupt, sinful nature that's been passed down from Adam after Adam's sin. And that is passed down to every man. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. <coughs> Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world 
and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now the Bible says that Jesus Christ is a lamb without spot and without blemish. And that is what was necessary for him to be the savior of the world, to be the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says in the Old Testament when somebody was supposed to bring a, a lamb or, or a type of animal as an offering, a sin offering, it, they said it had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish. In other words, uh, if you have an animal, that is part of your livelihood. It is worth money. Or if you don't, you have to go buy one. And, and God said, when you go and you bring an animal to the priest as a sin offering, you cannot go and get the one that's, that's least valuable, one that, that is sick or deformed. It has a spot. It has ble a blemish. Uh, it, it's, it's less in value. It's unhealthy. Oh, it's going to die anyway. So you might, if, if one has to be killed, you might as well take the one that's, that's going to die, that's sick, right? Or you have to go buy one. You might as well go buy one that's the least expensive. Somebody says, oh, you need to buy it here. Here's one. I have one for $100, but this one, I'll give it to you for $25 because, look, it's all sick and it's crooked. Uh, it has a crooked leg and it's deformed and it's not worth much. It's, it's not going to be able to breed use any healthy offspring or anything. You might as well take that one if you have to kill it. God said no. He said it has to be without spot and without blemish. And the reason why he said that, one of the reasons, is because that was a picture of Jesus Christ called the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And the Bible says that he is as a lamb without spot and without blemish. In other words, spiritually speaking, he is sinless. He is pure. The physical in the Old Testament symbolize the spiritual in the New Testament. And so for Jesus Christ to be a lamb without spot and without blemish, without sin, without a sinful nature, he could not be born from a regular man, the seed of Adam, because then he would have inherited that corrupt sinful nature. So that's why it was necessary for him to be born of a virgin. And that is how he qualifies to be the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All right, that'll conclude our study today. Let's go ahead and dismiss in prayer. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these truths. Help us to understand the word of God, rightly divide the word of truth so we can understand these differences in the Bible. Thank you for giving us salvation, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit and eternal life that you've forgiven us of all our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.